0: Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show. We would like to be your source for market intelligence, forecasts, and strategies. I'm Michael Bull, thanks for being with us. Well, today we have a great show. We're gonna talk about the multi-family market, apartments, everyone's favorite sector, I guess, throughout the country. It seems to have been the hottest sector in commercial real estate. And please welcome my first guest. It's Jay Parsons. He is VP of MPF Research, their division of RealPage. And he is joining us on phone today from Dallas, Jay. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, Jay, what are we seeing on performance? It seems like the multifamily market has just been surprising everyone with how great occupancy and has been doing, and absorption and rates. What do you see? What's happening?
1: Well, you're right. And I think going to various industry events, talking to people in the industry in the last few months, you know, I think we're at this point where everything has been so good for so long that people are actually nervous. Bit. Yeah, it's, it's this feeling that things can't possibly be this good for this long. And things so, are going
0: too well, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, and so you, what, what I'm hearing and seeing is a lot of uh, you know really over analyzing every little detail in the data to figure out hey, where's that early warning signal that things might be going wrong?
0: Right, but they're not. What are you seeing in the first quarter?
1: Yeah, they really haven't been so bad. I mean, some even internally, we have some debate about the first quarter results. And if you're glass half empty, you could point out that, you know, the absorption number in Q1, which is around 30,000, 33,000, was underwhelming. And it's a little bit below the norms for Q1, and particularly given the fact that we had a good bit more supply than that. So occupancy trended down a little bit in Q1. But, you know, that's not that abnormal. It's it's maybe a little bit low below expectations, but at the same time, you know, Q1 is not a particularly important period for the apart market in terms of demand, most of your demands in Q2 and Q3. And in addition to that, occupancy was still only down about 10 basis points, so it's not drastic. The good news in Q1 was that we still had quarter-over-quarter quarter rent growth of 0.9% and year-over-year year we're at 5%, and uh-huh. so... Some of the top line indicators are are still pretty strong. Now Having said that, there certainly are some individual markets and market segments that are seeing some signs of weakness right now.
0: Well, 5% year over year rental increase, if if you look at that historically, that's pretty good, right?
1: It's not just pretty good. That's uh, well above <laughs> yeah. normal. People like to say normal is 2%. That's a little bit misleading because you're your, your averaging periods of recessions with periods of growth. I mean, in growth periods, you're typically happy around 3, 3.5, and, and we're well above that. So, yeah, we're sitting in a good spot right now.
0: Right, because I'm I'm a broker, so if I'm selling apartments and uh, I show a, a, a buyer perspective that it's going to the rents are going to go up five percent a year, he's going to say, "Michael, you're crazy." <laughs> so,
1: yeah, and they, and he should. I mean, you know, right. we certainly don't want to pro forma that, right. but for most people, the, the rents are going above what they had expected.
0: And they do tell me I'm crazy, so that's fine. So,
1: <laughs> so, yeah. what you,
0: so what do you expect moving forward? As as you guys have dissected the numbers,
1: well. I think that the key theme going forward is you're going to see more spread between the top-performing markets and segments of the market and then some bottom performing. You look at the last few years, we try to make a living off helping people with strategy and helping figure out where the opportunity is. But the reality is the cycle so far has been so strong that pretty much everybody has done well, even if you've done on a relative basis, poor job at asset selection and strategy, a rising tide has boosted all ships. But what we're starting to see is some signs that there are some segments of the market that are starting to struggle. Obviously, Houston gets a lot of attention. Everybody knows what's going on there with the oil industry, and of course a lot of supply in the urban core. energy corridor. You know, areas like Denver are also slowing down. Some people are even nervous about San Francisco, though we're not really panicking about that. In addition, though, I think more broadly what you're seeing is certainly some cooling, not negative, but significantly slowed growth in the Class A urban segment across the country since developers and institutional investors have been flooding the market with top-end Class A supply in downtown submarkets across the country.
0: Okay, and I think my listeners around the country would be interested in why some people might be nervous about San Francisco because everyone knows that's been the city of dreams, right? For for the commercial right. real estate industry, is it just a lot of new supply there, or what?
1: You have a lot of supply in the SOMA area, but for the most part, San Francisco's has been a, such a supply-constrained market for so long that you know I wouldn't say it's an oversupply issue, except for that one little area. Yeah, I think the the issue though is that, and we're seeing this on the for sale side as well. There was recently an article about this. I think that there's, you know, maybe just a little bit of thought that, you know, hey, these the, the prices for homes and the rents for apartments growth has been so high for so long that maybe there's a little bit more resistance to that, a little bit less competition for those units, people willing to bid up for those rates, and so you know what's happening is that we've gone, you know, ten percent rent growth to you know, six or seven or five, five, six, seven. So it's not like things have dramatically cooled down. It's just that I think that maybe there's a period of, of uh, you know, kind of taking a breather from the double-digit growth that we've seen the last few years.
0: And what are occupancy rates around the country right now? You said they, they went down just slightly by 10 percent. So what are occupancy rates?
1: Yeah, we're down 10 basis points for the quarter. So uh, right around 95.7 percent. So that's still obviously well above the the long-term norms, and you know, essentially full by any kind of standard.
0: Right, and that's all around the country, all classes, right?
1: Yes, and so going in a little more detail, the, the the strength of the market is undoubtedly in the Class B segment right now, and mm-hmm. and that area there's uh, very few vacancies. That that group just is not competing with the top end of the market with the Class A group. The gap between the rents and a Class B property versus the Class A is higher than ever before. the really two distinct renter pools. Class A, you have higher vacancy, a little bit higher vacancy because you are competing with supply. Of course, Class C is also very tight, not much vacancy there, but the rent growth is more in the, in the B segment right now.
0: We're talking with Jay Parsons with MPF Research about the multifamily market. So Jay, is that where some opportunities are, maybe in B communities in some of these markets, and maybe even C?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, what we've been saying, I think even last time I was on your show, and I'm st- I was sticking to the same story, is that the real opportunity continues to be either in what I would call upper tier suburban, particularly Class A. And so, you know, for those of you, you know, if you, Michael, you in Atlanta, I mean, places, you think about places like Alpharetta, places in the Georgia 400 corridor, where I'm in Dallas, and you think about places like Plano, Frisco, you know, Las Colinas, I mean, places like that across the country that are higher-income suburbs, close to jobs that are close to, uh, you know, higher home values, retail, transportation, major, tra- tra- major highways, those kind of spots are really doing well. You, you know, people think of, when they think of barriers to entry, they think of, uh, you know, difficult to build, they always think urban core. But, you know, in the last eight years, that conventional wisdom has been thrown out the door because that barrier in the urban areas has been really just the cost. And when you have so much institutional capital willing to spend that kind of money, that barrier has been blown out. But the real barriers we're fighting, talking to developers, looking at the data, is in these desirable suburbs. We have restrictive zoning. You have a lot of nimbyism. Those are the areas that it's difficult to build. You see very low inventory growth rates, and you see very high rent growth rates. Look on the horizon. You just don't see a whole lot of headwinds during some sort of broad recession that can slow that down. So if I'm an investor, those are the areas I'm targeting heavily right now, particularly given the fact that you get a discount relative to what people are paying for urban core properties right now.
0: Yeah, those are some great tips, and I especially like your idea about looking at submarkets where it's hard to get permits to develop new products. So there's going to have to be increased rents and in demand for those existing properties there. So that's a great tip. Well, you mentioned earlier about a lot of people dissecting the numbers, like, oh wait, it's been too good. So as you, as what jumps out in the numbers to you?
1: Well, there's a few things that would worry me. I mean, I think let me quickly first of all say there's a few things that don't worry me. I mean. One of the things that people get really worried about, I think maybe too much, so is supply on a macro level. You know, I think there's without getting into all the details. I mean, there's plenty of evidence to suggest that we could withstand uh, a lot of supply given various demographic and economic factors. But the challenge is more okay specific spots where the supply is going to. And so, certainly, one thing we're watching closely, as I mentioned earlier, is is again that those urban core submarkets across the country where it's gotten very, very competitive in terms of leasing. And so, you know, people target that transient renter, but you know, the reality is transient renters, they don't have a lot of stuff and they may not be buying a house, but they're moving out to that property across the street. And there's an awful lot of options if you want to live downtown these days. And so that's, that's something I'd be concerned about, particularly this far in the cycle. We're, you know, seven years into this, I get nervous every time I talk to someone who's still targeting that same strategy and there's always the, you know, the, yeah, but this is different. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's a tough thing to do. Yeah. You know, conversely, let me just say real quickly that I'm not concerned about affordability. I think that's a significantly overblown issue for market-rate apartments. You know, you, we look at data for actual apartment renters, and you look at, uh, you know, incomes for people who actually live in apartments, uh, you know, it's only about 23% of income spent on rent. Uh, publicly traded REITs are reporting even lower numbers, so that's getting a lot of hot air right now. But there's there's not much of a, a concern in our view. So what really concerns me is going to be that Class A segment. I think particularly, you know, if and when you start to see demand weaken, you know, we all know things cyclical. So when that next recession comes, uh, there's going to be uh, there's going to be some some a lot of hurt in some of these urban core markets across the country where we've kept building and building and building with the expectation that, that, that you know, the demand will always be there.
0: Right. And that may be the market where affordability does become an issue, right? When you get these rents that are just so high that, you know, how can the millennials afford them? When you talk about rising construction uh, costs, you talk about the rising cost to, to buy the land. So, so good points. Jay, thanks for being on the show today.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for
0: having me. Well, stay tuned. We'll have more on the multifamily market. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by CCIM Institute, commercial real estate's global standard for professional achievement. Visit CCIM.com slash CRE show. That's CCIM.com slash CRE show. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Today we're talking about the multifamily market. My guest is Jay Parsons, he's with MPF Research in their division of RealPage um, and Jay you guys are in the market you're talking to buyers and sellers you're at all these events you're talking to people who are managing these properties so what are you seeing for some cap rate trends out there it seems like cap rates have really been compressing on apartments but in a lot of sectors they seem to be starting to flatten out what do you see
1: mm-hmm. yeah apartments really have been the uh, the exception of the rule lately mm-hmm. we continue to see upward trends and volumes and also you know downward movement in cap rates so um, Real Capital Analytics—they they just released their data for Q1. They're showing cap rates for apartments hit 5.7 in March, and you know I don't have to tell you I mean, that's 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 very low by historic standards. Um, you know, when you're you're. Uh, you know, we've been hovering around 6, 6% six really for the past year or so, and, and we really now, uh, you know, we're below that mark. So it's, it's these are historic times here.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. And of course, we're talking about properties probably of north of, of 5 million around the country, and a lot of those are yeah. kind of A and on the B side. So cap rates will adjust for for different uh, areas and, and different classes. So, and you uh, kind of mentioned earlier in the first segment that, you know, there is some opportunity maybe in, in B and C, because that's a strong market what do you see for cap rates on some of those properties
1: yeah you know I mean if you look at you know they don't break it up by a B and C but you can look at it different ways I mean garden properties are still at six but that's mm-hmm. that's pretty low uh, for for what you typically see in garden you know your high-rise mid-rise are at four seven um, you know and, and you look at uh, you know the, some of those major metros you know the core six they're sub five right now in a lot of cases you see deals that are you know sub four um, and so certainly you still see um, uh, more attractive cap rates in the secondary markets and tertiary markets. You know, what gets you all nervous, of course, is, you know, there's, there's always the stigma of, you know, the quote-unquote going down the risk spectrum, but, um, you know, I, I think that there's certainly opportunities there because one thing we continue to see is that, um, you know, inve- institutional investors are going to um prioritize uh, liquidity and be able to get out and so because of that they're willing to pay a premium for those core markets so if you're looking for uh you know more attractive deal I mean I'm looking at some of those secondary markets and if you get the right area uh you could get your you could, I think there's still opportunity there
0: right that's a good point. It seems like uh, I don't know. I'm a broker, so I think there's real good liquidity in, in all apartments. It seems like yeah. there's so much demand all the time for that that sector. But uh, yeah, that it, it is a good point. So, what is the consensus moving forward for cap rates and investment sales uh, volume, and uh, and then really, and I guess you always have to combine that with expected performance moving forward in the sector.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And and you know what what. Um, you know what we've what we've seen is that uh, I think uh, among investors there's this uh, you know thought that maybe things are what I've seen from the MBA and, and just talking to others that they're they're expecting kind of similar volumes going forward, kind of leveling off. You know I'd be surprised if that actually happens though. Um, you know I, I think that that uh, what, what what you're seeing is, is is in these core markets there's a thought well prices can't get any any higher or cap rates can't get any lower and that continues to happen. So there's a lot of foreign capital that is looking at the U.S and seeing that as uh, opportunistic right now and and a safer bet i should say safe and opportunistic uh... compared to you know some of the other investment options across the globe right now so you've got a lot of new capital that's coming in and and they're not as concerned about you know what the uh... you know the income return on the property is going to be they're looking at a place to preserve their the the value and so uh... they're going to they're driving down cap rates and and uh... and i think the rest of the market is pretty much following that and there's Mm -hmm. there's You know, you look at how low interest rates right now are right now, you look at the volatility elsewhere, you know, even even being sub-six, you still have, I think, a pretty attractive market.
0: Right, yeah, you, you have really good rates, uh, you, and as you mentioned, you have foreign demand, and you know they're looking for, for that safety and a, the five cap rate sounds pretty good, especially when you're talking about a, a class A multifamily uh, project that, you know, you can get great management for those properties, and with these kind of cap rates, you know, you think there'd be continued new supply opportunities. So, what are some cities around the country where there might be some um, some demand and some opportunities to create some new supply?
1: Well, first of all, let me say, I don't think there's any secrets anymore about where to build, uh, yeah. at least on a market level, uh, as you probably know. I mean, yeah. everyone is, is asking that question. Everyone's looking at uh, where to go. You know, it's interesting, if you asked me that a year ago, we would have said, hey, you know, get to the East Bay and, or Oakland area and if you're in the Bay Area because, you know, things are so hot in San Jose and San Francisco, it's going to spread over. And, and, you know, that's developers have been on top of that. They're, they're doing it. I think you could still do more of it uh, in certain spots. Uh, Portland was another one. In the Pacific Northwest, everybody was targeting Seattle. Portland was booming, and but nobody was really you know seeing, you weren't seeing a lot of concentrated construction activity. Um, but, you know, developers saw that as an opportunity, and they've quickly uh, moved that one up the ladder. Um, and so beyond the markets, you know, what I really, again, going back to the, our, our conversation earlier, what I really look at is, okay, within these markets, where are we building? Right. Uh, because I think you look at some of these hot growth areas that you're familiar with. I mean, you look at places like Charlotte and Nashville, uh parts of Atlanta and parts of Dallas, uh, you know, the the macro numbers uh, and certainly other markets as well, even Seattle, I mean, the the macro numbers suggest you're building a lot of supply. But if you look at where that supply is going and it's very urban focused and then in, in certain suburbs that traditionally have been you know kind of your key areas that we've built in previous cycles, you really don't see that much supply. Uh you know, in Charlotte for instance, you know, South Charlotte area and going down in a Valentine, that's always been you know, the key area in Charlotte and, you know, great demographics, higher incomes, uh, but you aren't building that many apartments. And so if I'm a developer, I'm an investor looking to build, you know, I'm looking, you know, not just, I wouldn't at this point look at, you know, small, small markets to build. I'm looking at the markets that do have that growth, have a great demographic story, but looking for those sub markets that really haven't been targeted yet in this cycle.
0: That's a good tip and we're talking with Jay Parsons with NPF Research about the apartment market. What about some tips, Jay, for owners of apartment apartment communities around the country?
1: Well, if if you're a owner and operator right now, I mean like I said things have I think you've been kind of sitting pretty for a while and so um, what I'd be looking for is is uh, is, is basically continuing to um as things as, as things do change, particularly the top end of the market, to, rem, to remain guided by the data and not by by hunches. One of the things <laughs> that we when talking to operators and owners, um, you know, when things do weaken, like we see right now in Houston, there's a tendency to to want to wanna just uh, to, to panic and to want to offer generous concessions and start to start to kind of go into manual mode as opposed to, you know, relying on your revenue management system, relying on, you know, if your team and t- having conversations about, you know, how to correctly manage our asset, there is, uh, there's a tendency to just want to panic and and, and, and and leverage the, the concessions option um, uh, too aggressively. And so um, what I would suggest is continue to be guided by the data. You know, you look at places where, you know, one of the things that's hardest to understand but that is most important in shaping performance is owner and operator sentiment. And I look at places like, you know, Washington D.C., which has been struggling for so long. And you look at the data, and you know, it hasn't been that great. But you know, the the, the data suggests that your rent numbers should have been better than they have been. And when I talked to operators over there, or I had in the last few years, what what really struck out to me stuck out to me is that people were just too negative, and they're being too cautious in their pricing, and it's spilling over even into submarkets and the asset classes, and aren't competing with supply. Um, and so, my biggest tip to operators and owners across the country is: Hey, be guided by the data. You know, you know. Yes, you want to balance the kind of the art and the science, your hunch with the data, but you know, don't don't over rely on. You know, your feeling about how things are going.
0: That's a good tip. Jay Parsons, thanks for joining us. If you'd like more information from Jay, visit realpage.com. There's some great information on their website and products. And stay tuned. We'll have more on the multifamily market for you. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The commercial real estate show is brought to you by Bull Realty, commercial real estate asset and occupancy solutions. Call 800-408-2855 or visit bullrealty.com. Welcome back to the commercial real estate show. I'm Michael Ball. Today we're talking about apartments, the multifamily market, right? The sweetheart property type in commercial real estate around the US. And please welcome my next guest, is Sharon Hatfield. She's Senior VP with CF Lane. Now CF Lane has about 165 properties about 32,000 units uh, around the country and about 15,000 of those units uh, they own themselves and they've got They have broad experience because they're handling properties from A, B, C, and maybe even a a D here and there. And uh, they also develop properties. They have a construction company. So they're third-party management, their ownership. They're doing it all. Sharon, thanks for uh, joining us because I know you've been running around the country lately.
2: Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: And I'd like to ask you about tenant traffic to kind of get us started. We hear in some markets that some people are a little concerned, lenders, the Fed, about maybe overbuilding, especially in the A-class communities in some markets. So what are you guys seeing for performance in uh, tenant traffic today?
2: You know, obviously, it depends on the market that we're talking about in the product class. In general, I would say that we still see everything pretty strong in the conventional side and rental rates are still trending upwards. In some markets, we're, we were seeing upwards to 7% rental growth, lease over lease. Wow. I would say on an average, you know, we're still around five or 6% in most markets, but that tends to be the trend. As far as tenant traffic trends, I still think that you know, we've got some seasonality in some markets as we always have, but we are seeing traffic trends still on the rise. Interestingly enough, Uh, We still see a lot of millennials who really want to rent versus own a home. That's creating that dynamic of desired rentals and and people who only want to rent and don't own homes. So I think that's helping and contributing to the drive-in traffic. And I would say we are watching this continue to grow. In some submarkets, we're seeing a little softening here and there, but for the most part, things are still steady, and we're happy and pleased with the results.
0: Yeah, well, you should be. That's great rental rate growth, especially when you look at it historically. So, what about occupancy trends? What do you see in there?
2: I think most properties are we're seeing them hover around 95%, and which we're happy with. We have some who are starting to drive higher than that, which is almost unheard of, particularly in the Atlanta market, and our our litmus test is when it starts to get over 95 we start watching the pricing right it means that prices are too low so today we had rather sit and operate at a 94% occupancy and push rent versus sitting at a 98% since the market's really not soft so it's still steady occupancy too
0: Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. So now when we bring you an apartment deal and suggest that you're going to see 95% occupancy moving forward, you're not going to say, ah, Michael, there's no way. right? Exactly. (laughs) You can't say it now. Well, um, and you mentioned uh, raising rents when occupancy gets higher like that. A lot of companies like you guys are using revenue management systems that uh, is interesting, like right It's like the hotels that adjust the the rents daily with a with a lot of input from various places. Are you using revenue management and, and how is it
2: working? Yeah, absolutely. We don't have it in hundred percent of our portfolio, but we do have it um majority of the things that we own we have it there. I'm a big believer in that. I think that it's better to have a revenue management system in place than to not have anything at all particularly as we're in a a very dynamic uh, rental market right now. And I usually, uh, you know, when I talk to investors or clients who are interested in in utilizing revenue management system, the rule of thumb is that you usually see a lift on your investment in a couple of years. I think we're seeing that now on every deal that we have because we're pushing rent um, so aggressively. Um, But, you know, it's only as smart as the people operating it. Mm -hmm. But we're pretty pleased with all the programs that we have and that we're using.
0: And the people operating it, what do they need to input to make it work properly?
2: Um, a lot of market knowledge, obviously, and staying abreast, you know, it does not replace the knowledge of the people that you have on site. So, you know, knowing what's happening down the road is extremely important. One of the software programs looks at current demand, another one doesn't. So if you're using the one that doesn't look at, you know, who walked in the door yesterday, then it's going to take the management team to, you know, be aware of that and know that there's demand driving something or that you know something was built and delivered down the road that's going to affect what historical performance normally would have looked at.
0: Yeah, I mean that makes sense, uh, when you know you know what the options are for the tenant without having to kind of manually, I guess every day go and get that. And I th- would think another benefit would be when on renewals when you know, your your manager has a relationship with your tenant, and, and your manager has to raise the rent. He can say, or she can say, uh, "Oh, the computer says we have to do it." Right?
2: Oh yeah, it's education is everything, and and having the team well versed in and how to use it and how to sell it. You know, fortunately now we're we're in a good market where the the rates that we are offering to renewals. Um, are high, but or actually maybe a bit lower than what we're offering to people on the street. That actually helps um, because when you end up having renewal rates higher than what the new lease rents are, then we get into a a bidding war with residents. So we're in a good place right now.
0: That's right. Well, stay tuned. We'll have more on the apartment market right after this message. Welcome back. You're listening or watching the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Michael Bull. Today we're talking about apartments with Sharon Hatfield. She's president of CF Lane, and they own and manage a lot of properties around the country. And Sharon, I'd like to ask you about rising construction costs. What do you see for trends there, and and how is it impacting your industry?
2: They're definitely trending up. Um, I would say that hard costs for construction have continued to trend up close to 1% per month that we've been uh, noticing, and they have been for the last three years. And land prices obviously are on the rise as well. And aside from all of that, just labor costs in general have going, are going up, but also we've noticed that subcontractors are, are spread thin among projects. So we've noticed that it's been really hard to keep subcontractors on a deal. And I would say the impact that that's had, we've, we've seen it, we felt it, as a lot of, of my cohorts have in the industry, these rising costs have really required us as developers to design more expensive, higher density projects, and they just keep getting higher. So eventually the construction costs and land prices, we think, will probably slow down the development pipeline significantly, which is probably happening already in some sub-markets. It's difficult, we find, to get a lot of deals capitalized right now, and some of the banks have tightened up on the lending. So it's for the most part, only the best of the best borrowers who are those with lower leverages are seemingly getting the deals done, which, you know, I guess is good for some. It's going to uh, tighten the supply, but it's also hard for those of us who want to continue to build more as well.
0: Right. Yeah, that's a good point. So if it limits supply because of rising construction costs, well, then your existing properties may uh, have higher rent increases, uh, more tenant demand, and, and more value from investors. So does that mean that you guys are, are still developers? Are you buyers? Are you sellers? Are you all above in this market?
2: Well, a little bit all above, but I would say more than anything right now, it is a hot market to sell. Right. So buying is extremely difficult, so you'll see us probably being more of a seller than anything else. And we're still doing some developing, too.
0: Yeah. Are there certain um, cities around uh, the country right now that interest you guys more than others to, to develop or invest in?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we, we tend to stay in the the, uh, the Sun Belt. So I would say from a development standpoint, we still look at the, the southeast, you know, without being Alabama and Florida, Carolinas and Tennessee, Georgia. Um, and then as far as um, acquisitions, um, we really are staying in all those areas and expanding beyond. We do have some stuff up toward Michigan and then expanding all the way out to Texas, which is, probably our second largest market. So those are two other areas that we're focusing on.
0: Okay, and as you guys study the market, Sharon, and, and, and I'm sure you you, you, you guys sit around and, and think about this and plan uh, with your numbers and, and what you're doing moving forward, how do you feel about the impact of rising interest rates On your market because on one side you have the investment market and the values and the cap rates of deciding when to build and buy and then the other side you have how rising impacts could could impact occupancy and tenants you know moving out and buying a home or not so so that must be interesting discussion around your boardroom
2: it is it is indeed and you know I don't think that on the short term we feel like interest rates are going to impact the cap rates. There's really um, too much capital right now, both domestic and foreign for that matter, searching for yield. So, you know, foreign investors are are paying negative interest rates. So, any of us, any real estate, this point looks good comparatively.
3: (laughs) Right.
0: That's right. And what about for tenants moving out? I mean, when you guys do your uh, exit surveys, when tenants move out, how many of them are buying?
2: Um, A a good bit. Um, I I would say less. Then obviously, uh, I would answer that question six, seven years ago. Um, the trend tends to be that those who are in the garden apartments in the suburbs are usually the ones building and buying homes and moving out. and those who are in the urban core fill um, development and more in the city, um, most of the move outs for, are occurring because of job relocations and not so much for home purchasing
0: okay and how do you guys feel about affordability you mentioned rising uh, uh, costs for construction and land costs and that is really driving up the the prices of these new new communities and and driving up the rental rates so how do you feel about affordability of the tenants being able to pay these rents in some of these markets yeah it's
2: definitely tougher some i think um Probably since I've been in the industry for about 20 years, dating myself there, um, we are watching people probably extend their limit the most I've ever seen. So the percent of their income ratio is at the highest it's been. So I do think that's affecting affordability. I think it is going to become a problem as um, even you know, older units now are pushing rent. So we'll continue to watch that. I think at some point it's going to stabilize, but right now it's definitely the people are definitely stretching themselves pretty thin.
0: Okay. Well, final word for our listeners about apartments should they the show, should they still buy apartments? Is it good good space?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it's certainly a wave, but it is still trending upwards. We haven't hit the the plateau yet, so it's not too late. Um, if you're looking to develop, you, you might be missing the the the, uh, the train, but from an investment
0: standpoint, it's a hot. Yeah, I I agree. I think it's uh, still a good time to buy apartments, especially with the performance that you guys are seeing. Sharon, thanks for joining us on the show today.
2: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: All right, well, stay tuned. We'll have more on apartments right after this message. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. check out Valuate, a real estate analysis program that can be easily shared with colleagues online to do what-if analysis. Visit GetValuate.com. That's GetValuate.com. welcome back to the commercial real estate show i'm michael bull today we're talking about the apartment market the multi-family industry please welcome my next guest it's scott spaulding scott is the vp with the apartment group at bull realty he's joining us here in studio one scott thanks for being with us thank you for having me michael well scott you're out there in the field every day talking to buyers and sellers and doing deals so we all want to know where the opportunities are
3: Well, it's gonna depend upon the amount of equity you're looking to invest, the size of your projects, as well as the class type, but there are several opportunities available. And one one such opportunity is if you're in the institutional class A market, and that opportunity right now is to sell. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, interest rates are gonna increase at some point. Apartments have had a tremendous ride. Um, We're still positive on apartments, but this may be the time to sell an asset or two. And we've been having great success, you know, marketing class A properties. So that may be something to consider. And then also on the acquisition side, you may want to think about repositioning an asset, whether it's an A minus, a B, or even a C property, you know, depending upon the market, you want to make sure you're in a market that has strong drop growth. So if you take it, for example, say here in Atlanta, where our headquarters are located, we're still seeing you know, uh, significant increases in the B and C properties. Uh, they are tougher to manage, but uh, through that difficult management process is where the upside lies.
0: Yeah, they're not making any more B or C product, right?
3: No, they're sure not. <laughs> they're sure not. And then on the development side, you know, there's several cities around the country that are still poised for new developments. Mm-hmm. So it really just depends on where your interests lie.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And you mentioned uh, the time to sell of uh, Class A properties, but uh, I think a lot of people are, are as uh, Jay mentioned, are kind of looking, hey, w- when's the downside coming and trying to guess when it is. But um, what do you see with, with sellers today? You know, it seems like in the last Good times we had and before the recession there was some sellers that got really good offers on properties and held out That actually when the market went down some of those people even lost their properties to foreclosure And you really look smart, you know selling it before the downturn came. What are you seeing with sellers today? Uh, in that regard
3: well, I'm seeing sellers uh getting great offers, but they're trying to time the market perfectly. And I think that if we do have the correction in 17 and 18, like many predict, there are going to be some sellers that are going to be stuck holding the bag. I think they, like you mentioned, I think many even forgot about what happened in 2007.
0: Well, we have short memories right?
3: <laughs> that we do that we do <laughs>
0: Of you know, the bad times we don't even want to think about it right uh, so you see sellers that are getting what you think are good offers I mean we talk about these these cap rates in the fives and even in Atlanta I guess in these class A properties you're seeing those kind of caps and some sellers are saying
3: no I've seen offers in the four cap range and wow. sellers are still saying no wow. so it, it is uh, it's a difficult time Wow
0: well what about for an investor who's trying to get into some of these B and C properties. They seem to be, you know, hard to find. What what would you tell them?
3: Get a good broker. <laughs> a good broker.
0: <laughs> right. Where can you find one of those? They're all over the country,
3: right? Yeah. You, yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So call call me if you want a broker around the country. We can refer you some brokers in different markets for a different uh, class properties that that you see out there. What about a quick management tip for some folks who maybe own these B and C properties that are harder to manage?
3: Well, I think you want to think about it from a tenant's perspective with a management cap on. And what I mean by that is, what would you like if you lived in this property? You know, what's the type of- Open bar? Well, not (laughs) necessarily that, but just the type of service that you'd be looking for, some of the amenities you're looking for, but also keep in mind that you got to stay in budget.
0: Yeah, and that is a tough property type really to manage, and I think that's why there's really opportunities there because you, know, you get an A property with great management, maybe you can tweak it a little bit, but with a B or especially a C, there can be a lot of upside, right?
3: There can be. Yeah. And also, you know, like you said, with the management process, that's where you're going to make or lose your money. It's because the the B&C properties, you're dealing with a different type of clientele, and so it takes a little more expertise to uh, manage that.
0: Well, Scott, thanks for joining us today.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, thank you for joining us out there on one of the radio stations around the country or on YouTube or the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Be sure and join us next week when we talk about another hot sector, the industrial sector. So until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, And join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty Commercial Advisors, a great place to do business. Visit bullrealty.com. Excelligent, the resource professionals use for commercial real estate information. Visit Acceligent.com, that's X-C-E-L-I-G-E-N-T. Commercial Search, the source to market and source available properties for sale or lease. Visit CommercialSearch.com. CCIM Institute, commercial real estate's global standard for professional achievement. Visit ccim.com slash CRE Valuate, easily share what-if analysis online with colleagues. Visit getvaluate.com. For more information on these great companies or for additional videos, podcasts, or articles, visit creshow.com.